You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Fiona Barton is the New York Times bestselling author of The Widow, The Child, and The Suspect, all featuring journalist Kate Waters. She was a senior writer at the Daily Mail, news editor at the Daily Telegraph, and chief reporter at the Mail on Sunday, where she won Reporter of the Year at the British Press Awards. Her new novel is A Local Gone Missing, featuring D.I. Elise King. Thank you for joining me, Fiona. Thanks so much for inviting me. This is a wonderful novel, and it's a very particular type of novel. This is the British small town mystery. And I'm wondering, you've done uh, three other novels featuring a a journalist, Kate Waters. Uh, This is, I think, a little bit different from those uh, by virtue of its kind of small town setting, and it's a really classic uh, genre talk. I mean, this is something that reaches back to Jane Austen days. So, uh, talk about mining that kind of, uh, uh, you know, background as far as these novels go. I mean, this is a, a big, a, a big uh, archetype for you to work with. It is. You're absolutely right. Um, and because the first three, as you say, I had a journalist as the uh, as the central character. First one, perhaps less so, but she stayed for the next two books. Um, But in fact, the location in those books, uh, I know it was Thailand for the third one, but they weren't a character in the same, in the sort of way that in Local Gone Missing, the fictitious small town of Ebbing is, I think. Um, It didn't, you know, it, it was a backdrop. It wasn't you know, it, it didn't play a part, if you like. Um, but in Local Gone Missing, um, I was intrigued because uh, my husband and I had been living in France and um, we we came back to England um, for various reasons and we uh, moved to the seaside and we'd never lived in a small seaside town before. And so there was lots for me to absorb and um, and I loved the interplay, um, you know, in a small community where everybody knows everybody or thinks they do, um, you know, it, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fertile ground, as it were. And I liked um, I was interested in the fact that uh, people get very exercised about small things um, in a big city. It's the big things, you know, the the underground is rubbish or, you know, the tube trains and things. But in a small town, it's somebody has parked, you know, has parked badly near my driveway. Somebody is, you know, it's small, small things, but it escalates. Um, and uh, and that was, you know, meat and drink to uh, a thriller writer, really. You know, one of the things I think you do really well in this novel is the opening is absolutely mesmerizing. Just in two pages, you have got the reader hooked. So talk about, (laughs) and then it's just a matter of like reeling in the big fish, which is the reader. So uh, talk about 
when you created the novel, did you start with the opening yourself and mystify yourself? Or did you uh, at least build some backdrop so you knew where you'd be going? No, I wrote the prologue at the end. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I'd, I'd started in a different place um, when I wrote it. And uh, I just, I knew I needed something at the beginning um, to, as you say, draw the reader in um, to give them a blast um, because as a reporter, that's what you always do. You tell the whole story in the first paragraph. You know, you you sell the story straight away. Well, it's hard to do that in a thriller um, without <laughs> without spoilers. So um, I had done the drip, 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 and and I thought, no, what I need is a is a you know like a, a blast from a water cannon first. So um, that's what I did. Um, yeah, so I did it at the end. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was it was a, an, an interesting thing to do at that point to sort of look at it and say, what does the reader, what could the reader know right from the get go? So, um, yeah, so I did it then. But in the new book that I'm writing, I started with the prologue, so it might get removed. I don't know. But um, I liked I liked the prologue. You, you know, one of the things I think that. Uh, it's really interesting about this book is creating this big cast of characters in a small town. One of the, with the appeal of the d detective novels often described of that the detective can access all levels of society from the, the lowest of the low to the top of the top. You do that before you even really introduce your detective. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, because I think you're absolutely right. Uh, that's, you know, the, the role of the detective. But, of course, the role of the journalist, um, there are quite a few echoes of that in what reporters do, accessing people. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a big departure having uh, a detective as the central figure the central character in this new book um I'd stepped away from Kate poor Kate Waters she's had a terrible time in the suspect so I gave her a lie down and um and I thought I'm going to look at um you know a, a woman detective um who is at a bit of a crossroads um so yes I, I did I have got quite a big cast of characters I know but um small towns do uh you know it's not like a closed room mystery uh, a small town has thousands of people um as i discovered when i tried to invent it um so yeah i did do that but elise is the person who um who is sort of moving between them well her and the cleaning lady d um but uh Yes, I chose her. I chose a detective like Elise because I wanted a woman. Um, I just did. And uh, and I wanted her life to have imploded. So um, poor Elise, at the beginning of the book, um, she's in her early 40s and she thought she knew exactly where her life was going. Career driven, decided early on, didn't want children, had a partner who felt the same way she thought um and then suddenly 
everything is turned upside down because um, she loses the love of her life um, in a fairly brutal way and then discovers she has breast cancer. And so where we meet her, she is off sick. She's recovering um, from you know, the treatment and, uh, and is wondering if she can ever be that same detective again. So that's how we meet her. Um, but uh, she doesn't last long like that because she has a very nosy neighbour, Ronnie, who is so thrilled she has a murder detective living next door. She's not going to waste this opportunity. And so she gets her involved in a slightly amateurish investigation into a local man who's gone missing. Uh, and then things take several dark turns. You know, I, I have to say, I really loved Ronnie. She is such a great character. And I love her too. I know. You can tell <laughs> how much you love her too. So talk about uh, creating this. It's interesting because you get to have kind of the best of both worlds, the amateur sleuth uh, arc mixed with, you know, the police procedural. That's an interesting combination. It is. Um, I think I wanted to, I wanted them to sort of be low key to sort of, you know, take the reader gently in and for the for the dark sides of everything to unfold. So um, having Ronnie, who is, um, you know, she's sort of the, the comedy part of it. She gets all the best lines. Um, she it's about getting Elise back on the horse, if you like. Um, so she gets her involved and it's Elise's journey. Obviously, she's a fantastic detective. And yet, you know, she's very tentative when she starts out on this, um, you know, inquiries into where Charlie has, uh, Charlie, the elderly man who's gone missing, where he's gone. And gradually, you know, she's getting more confident and and then she has to um, hand it over to the professionals and go back to work herself. So, yeah, uh, it was it was a nice mix for me um, to have that. You know, one of the things I, I too live in a small town by the ocean. It's it's called Aptos. We're just about eight miles south of Santa Cruz in California. Okay. Uh, so oh, lovely. Uh, we have and our local attraction is a cement boat from World War One that was once a. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> it was once it was once a hot nightclub. Now it's just a sunken, half sunken wreck. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Shame. <laughs> that coast is so beautiful. It really oh, it is. And the wreck actually is very beautiful as well. Um, that said, I think small towns by the ocean have a, a certain flavor, a universal flavor, because as I was reading a, a, about Epi, I'm thinking, boy, this is just like Aptos. <laughs> Talk about mining the universal nature of the small seaside town. I think that must be the same in the world around it and regardless of the culture even. Well, it, yes, uh, this is the first seaside town I've ever lived in. Oh. So I, I can't speak to um, the universal nature of them. Um, but it's, I suppose their nature is that they have this sort of dual existence because they're a town, they have, you know, the businesses, the, you know, all the stuff going on, the schools, the doctors and all that. But they've also got this kind of, this tide of uh, of incomers, the, the weekenders, um, the tourists who come and change 
the town um, every weekend. Uh, it, it becomes a different place. So it is quite, you know, it's quite a balancing act because obviously it's it's good business. Um, you know, people have opened cafes and, you know, done all the things that you do to uh, accommodate these people. But also they then go um, and you're left with all the, um, you know, the Prosecco and the and, and the uh, sourdough bread. Um, and and in the winter, um, you know, you're you're left to your own devices. Things pick up again in the local thing and then it all starts again. So, um, yeah, I suppose a lot of places must feel like that. You know, as you were speaking, I was just realizing something about the small coastal town. As the ocean washes against the beach, it slowly changes the features of the beach. I know things, are, I've lived here 30 years, and, and things have changed pretty significantly in that time. Well, so, yeah. um, but also, there's another ocean that's the ocean of incomers that washes into town every mm-hmm. summer and, and starts to change it slowly, and never in a way that the locals like. There's always a conflict between the locals and and Mm. the the newcomers talk about mining that conflict for a crime novel but also just to for a look at you know the the culture of a small town sure i mean the um i think for ebbing the town that i invented um on the south coast um it's uh it's quite a shock because it's quite a rundown, you know, nothing special kind of town on the coast. Um, there used to be, um, you know, a few fishermen, but, you know, it's more kind of, it's quite industrial in places. So they have suddenly found themselves um, becoming a bit shishi because all the lovely places further down the coast towards Brighton and, uh, and, and along there, um, everywhere's been bought and done up. So, you know, the developers are moving slowly along the coast and Ebbing was the next one um, to, to to be gentrified. So they are struggling with it. They've not had a history. People didn't go and spend the day in Ebbing. Um, you know, not really. Kite surfers did, but, you know, they didn't... People weren't uh, looking to buy second homes there. And all of a sudden they are. And uh, so they're really, you know, it's it's really hit home um, what the future is for Ebbing. Um, you know, it can kill a place um, when weekenders come during the summer and then, you know, lock up the place and are not seen for six months. You know, that's, uh, it's tricky. It's a tricky balance. You know, one of the things that, that I thought about as I read this book is, how cleverly crafted a crime thriller it is. And it also made me understand a little bit more about the nature of crime thrillers because all of them do a a kind of a hand-waving act, a a distraction act. On one hand, they say, your book is called Local Gone Missing, and so we assume, you know, the mystery is the the local gentleman who's gone missing. Mm -hmm. But like all crime novels, and I didn't realize this until just reading this book, but there's more than one crime, and the uh, 
the draw of the novel is, is for the reader is partially to figure out what those other crimes are beyond the one we know we're going to get from the cover of the book and from the back cover mm-hmm. of the book. And moreover, not only what those other crimes are, but how they are connected to the original crime. And so mm-hmm. I'd like you to talk about creating a novel bit that is wrapped around one crime, but there's going to be a number more that will be associated with that. Um, well, yes, I never make things easy for myself, but uh, I like complicated stories. I like, you know, the change of narrative. In Local Gone Missing, I move forwards and backwards in time um, to show so that the reader thinks okay, we're heading in this direction, this is what's happening, and then all of a sudden, two weeks previously, this happened. So I like doing that. Um, In French, they call it um, not knowing which foot to dance on. And uh, it's, I enjoy that as a reader. So I try, I've been trying to, you know, to do that. Um, And I think it sort of, it gets the reader um, involved, much more because as you say they're trying to second guess they're trying to get ahead in the book they've got um three narrators three main narrators they've got elise who's you know doing her investigation they've got charlie the missing man doing his narration and they've got the cleaning lady who is uh, d who is talking to the reader in the first person so that also wrong foots um, the reader because you think, oh, I know exactly what's going on in her head because she's speaking directly to me. Um, so you don't know who to trust, who to follow. It's, you know, it it's a bit of a carnival. Well, you know, what I was thinking is that reading this novel and writing the novel are similar experiences in that it's like a game of Jenga where you're building this tower <laughs> as a reader, you're putting together all these pieces and making sure they're balanced and every one that you put on threatens the balance of what you know and changes it. And you have to keep building great, it up. That's and... a really great image. Oh, I must see if I can use that. <laughs> so so talk about um, when you, you said that you didn't start with the prologue, but did you already know how much you were going to jumble up the, t- the, the timeline? No, I didn't. Um, I'm I'm not much of a planner, I have to say. Um, I do. I, you know, it isn't that I just you know plunge in without an idea, but I don't sit and work out what's going to happen in a strict timeline. Um, some people do and and do it very successfully, but I've never really been able to do that. Um, I think it's a mystery, uh, you know, one of the things I just want to say, I think as a Mm. mystery writer, um, it helps that the mystery is a mystery to you as well as to the reader. It it makes it much harder for us to solve. It does, but it is slightly nerve wracking, I have to say. It's a bit of a tightrope. But um, so, uh, yeah, I, I what I know at the beginning is who my characters are. Um, I don't mean that I write a CV for them. Um, You know, I don't know what sort of biscuits they eat or, you know, whatever. Um, But I know them. Um, And so that's what I start with, the characters. And then I ask, you know, do the what if game. 
what would happen if this took place or so um for local gone missing i started with the um, music festival i started i sort of lobbed that in like a hand grenade and uh and wondered what would happen and then other things um started to evolve um other lines other themes and uh, and kind of unfolded um as i was writing um, not to say that I didn't go back and, you know, remove a character or, you know, change something. I did. But I let it unfold um, as I go and uh, and then try and put it right <laughs> at the end, <laughs> write a prologue at the end. <laughs> you know, um, the, you brought up the music festival and I thought this was a really wonderful uh, piece of, of writing because we get to hear all about it in advance and then see it as it kind of unfolds in a, in a chaotic and unhappy uh, manner. Uh, and I can only, uh, there are a ton of music festivals around here. It's, it's the same thing. And I'm one, I can only think of Glastonbury. <laughs> it's just starting this weekend. I, oh, is Tomorrow. it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and hmm. there, there have been lots of people who played at Glastonbury that have, are of interest to me. So talk about the influence of, you know, just the, the, the music festival scene and, and the business end of it, and also, you know, the impact on the, the community, which you do a good job of portraying. Thank you. Yes, I mean, I, I, first of all, I thought I'd make it a rave, um, but then it would get closed down very quickly. So I thought, no, a music festival. And because that, you know, in a small town, absolutely, you know, stymies everybody and, and they're all furious because um they feel that this newcomer is you know throwing his weight around saying he wants to put ebbing on the map and you know and they say it is on the map it's the red dot near Portsmouth um but it, it's um it sort of it raised the stakes um for the tension between the newcomers and the cradle ebbers um so it it did a job um and it's uh, and it was fun to write as well. Um, so yeah, called on my on my uh, teenage years when I went to music festivals, but uh, and and it also introduced you know Elise and Ronnie um, their relationship um, and and where they where they are in their relationship. So uh, yeah, I enjoyed writing that. Now early on, we we meet uh, the older gentleman uh, Charlie and his wife Pauline, and I could only think the awful Pauline as I always think of her. <laughs> uh, the only I I could only think of how many there's a pretty fair number of characters in this book that I would describe. You know, I, they're they're so realistically rendered. I could only think of she's a real piece of work. She is. She so, is. I love writing her. So she so is. Talk absolutely. about her, Pauline and <laughs> poor old Pauline. Yes, Pauline is the disappointed wife of Charlie. Um, uh, she thought she'd be leading a very different life, um, and uh, has had huge ambitions, uh, which has which have plunged them into uh, a very difficult. Uh, situation but she's also vile with it um she <laughs> she has these very sort of high ideas of um of who she is um she was great fun to write uh yeah 
but she's a, yeah she's a bit of a distraction um for poor old charlie um yeah but she's yeah she's she's in there she's in the mix um there are there are a few quite unpleasant characters in it um i don't know what that says about me but uh, i did enjoy writing them it says more about uh, the world <laughs> than it does about you in that there are always a few uh, genuinely unpleasant characters closer than we would uh, prefer. But I did get, I, I did get Pauline. I mean, you know, it's very easy to sort of make people, you know, bad, good. You know, that doesn't work really. I, I understood why she was like she was. I mean, she had had a series of disappointments in life. Um, but it was the way she handled them that made her such an awful woman. Um, but I did, I did get it that, you know, she she really thought, because she was very beautiful and, you know, men fell at her feet and then uh, she got old. And that's that's a terrible disappointment um, to some people. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, I, I may remotely resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Welcome to my world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, one of the things that, that I thought you did really well was to, since you're working with a large cast, you create them all very well. So talk about fleshing out, you know, a number of characters and working that, working the plot through the revelations of characters and as as we discover, more than one person has more than one uh, sort of identity. Sure. Um, yeah. I uh, yes, it was that was quite a juggling act. But it, it's um, I love the characters, and I that that's matters. What I, and I enjoy writing them. So I mean, some are more fleshed out than others. Um, I wrote today about um, a, the bloke who runs the campsite. And I just said he's a big unit with a limp ponytail. And I probably won't write anything else about him. But I have him in my head now I can see him. Um, so yeah, it doesn't take much sometimes. And others, you know, the big characters, um, when I wrote The Widow, I realised at the end, I had no idea what colour hair she had. Um, and I, well, I hadn't said what colour hair she was, she had. And uh, so I had to go back and look at her again, um, you know, to see what she was. But um, yeah, I, I kind of, I do see, you know, the, the scenes in the, in the high street, I can see those people. Um, and so sometimes I forget to describe them. Very naughty. My editor will um, come back to me and say, yes, but what does she look like? Is she tall? Is she small? <laughs> now, uh, you do, uh, one of the things that you do really well, you talk about Elise uh, as being a cancer survivor. And, mm -hmm. and I think you write well about that in terms of you make it real, you make it powerful, but you don't let it overwhelm the character or the the narrative. So, so talk about that kind of balancing act. Well, I wanted um, the reason poor Elise um, was diagnosed with breast cancer was because I wanted something to happen to her that was nothing that nothing could have prevented. That is not her fault. Um, you know, the the breakup of her relationship could be you know, laid at her door. She was too work obsessed. But breast cancer, you know, can hit anybody. And I wanted something that wasn't her fault, 
but that would have a devastating effect on her. So that's why I chose it. And then I started researching um, and talking to women who had had breast cancer. I talked to two lovely um, detectives, women detectives, who had had it young and had um, surgery and whatever, and had gone back to work. And they were so open and frank about what it was like, how vulnerable they felt, you know, and, and what it what it was like walking back into um, an incident room or, a, you know, into the team meeting when they were, you know, one of them was very senior, uh, still is, she's gone back to work, but, you know, she is very senior and what that's like then to go back in after that and how you're seen by your colleagues. Um, and so I've used all of that. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was so interesting to talk to them, so inspiring, you know, to see how people deal with things. Yeah. But I didn't want to make it all about breast cancer, um, because, well, I didn't, and uh, and and Elise doesn't want it to be all about. That's what she's trying to get away from. So I followed her lead, and um, and kept, I hope, a lightish touch. Um, but it's an important, you know, it's an important part of her that uh, that she's had this this um, this disease. You know, one of the things too you do really well is to create uh, the 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 cop shop, the atmosphere of it. And you know, this is you do a good, a wonderful job with the police procedural aspects, and nicely you do not let them overwhelm the narrative again. We get to feel that we're just kind of cruising through this small town and meeting all these, you know, characters that are like people we probably know or are ourselves. So talk about um, mixing that kind of the local narrative with the cop shop procedural narrative in a way I think it's very even handed and well handled. Well, that's very nice of you to say so, because uh you know, I haven't been in a police station for a very long time. I stopped being a reporter in 2008. So, you know, my my contact with police, which, you know, was, was pretty good before then. You know, I, I did a lot of stories where I interacted with police and talked to them and worked with them and all that. But... Um, but since 2008, so that's a long time ago, um, I haven't as much. Um, luckily, I, I had, uh, for the first three books, I had a wonderful um, detective, um, DCI, Detective uh, Chief Inspector, who was wonderful. And he, um, I could ring him up and say, you know, is this all right? And he'd say, oh, I don't think so. What about this? So he was great. He kept me on the straight and narrow. But for this one, um, it's been much more because it's, a detective. Um, I kept her as a, an amateur <laughs> for a while, so I wouldn't have to be in the uh, police station. Um, but uh, I've, you know, I've I've had to move back in. I've had to move back into the police station. Um, so um, for this new book, I've uh, I've been talking to um, a great uh, a great detective. Um, another one. Um, the original one um, is now a published author and is making TV programs. So he's way too busy now. But um, my new advisor, 
he's great. So um, yeah, he's stopping me making terrible errors. Um, but it's it is another world. So what I've done really is that I balanced um, the town with the investigation um, for for very sound reasons that I don't know enough about the police <laughs> staff to make it. And also, you know, I think the town is much more interesting, to be honest. You can get really bogged down, can't you, in, in police procedural. Um, and if you don't know your stuff really, really well, it's a dangerous place to be. Um, you know, you can make so many mistakes. So I've tried to keep a light touch on that. Sound like I don't look into anything, but, you know, try and keep it so that uh, I've got the interest um carrying on with just a light touch here light touch there. see if it works you know i i really love the the town and the way you created the various businesses and, and how the people once we get to know you know the barkeep and and, and such the businesses i think are are really interesting but also you take us down into their lives and we start to see how they're connected and often not to the best people. Mm. <laughs> so yes. I, I think that the way you weave crime in and out uh, of everyday life is, is really interesting. So talk about that because one of the things that really makes that possible is drugs. Drugs are are fairly ubiquitous. They're also fairly illegal, but not always legal. They're sometimes tolerated. So that really gives you a, a big old gray area to immerse people in crime and, and yet not have them be hard, necessarily hardened criminals. No, I know what you mean. Um, and it's uh, it touches all levels of society. That's the other thing. You know, other crimes don't. Um, you have the criminal class, you have their victims, but actually drugs is um, is a great leveller in a way. Um, you know, there, there are criminals involved, obviously, the drug dealers, but um, it touches all sorts of people. Um, so that was, that was something that I wanted to use. Um, it strikes me if they're a little like, wary about spoilers, but um, uh, me too. Me, ahead. <laughs> me too. No, I my goal is to have an interview where people entertain. I want to read that book, not like not saying thinking now I don't need to read that book. No, no. <laughs> Somebody said to me today, they said, Have you read this book? And I said, no. And she said, oh, it's so sad. They both die in the end. So I said, well, I'm not going to read that now, am I? <laughs> <laughs> I said, it's not Romeo and Juliet, is it? <laughs> no. Now, now, but, you know, what? one of the things that you are saying about drugs mm. what may, was really interesting to me in that they, like the detective, have it. I give you as a writer and us as reader access to all levels so that you might have somebody who's really poor, who's got, you know, a, a, a bad brother or sister that who's who's on drugs, but also somebody who's really rich, who by virtue of their riches has mm -hmm. access to the 
what they hope is a better uh, version of the same drugs the poor people, but who knows? It's drugs. Who knows? That's right. You know, it's either, you know, they disguise it, they, you know, use weasel words like, you know, recreational and, you know, and then you've got the people who have been destroyed by drugs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great, it, it's a great theme to have, I think, um, for, uh, for, a town that exists on so many levels um, that it kind of, it links, it can link different people. You know, and two, one thing that when we, when we look around us at our own towns and our own lives, we only have one experience of the people that we know, which is Mm. when they talk to us. And so we think of them as a one person and that may not be the case. And I think you use that very well in this novel and that there are a number of people who have their lives in Epping, but they also, everybody has a secret life. And sometimes they do. that can be very <laughs> yes. impactful. That's very fertile ground as well. But, you know, I've always said, nobody knows another person totally. We all have things that we hide, not necessarily big things like, you know, um, crimes or whatever, but, small things that we don't want other people to know about us, you know, the things that we really think, what will they, will they judge us for thinking that? Um, so we do hide. And of course, that's interesting in, a, in the era of social media, uh, where we think we know everything about everybody, it's all out there. But that means it it's more important to hide things. Um, and people try harder to hide things, I think. Um, you know, they're on their social media living their best life, but actually, you know, they're not. Um, they've got a miserable existence and, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's all pretend. So I, that, I've used that quite a lot in my books, that sort of, you know, the, the, the tension between the person you say you are and the person you really are. Um, because I think, as you say, we're all several people rolled into one. Long ago, um, te- technology inserted itself into fiction uh, mm-hmm. in the guise first of the entry machine, and then of the cell phone, which <laughs> instantly it's ruined everything. It's, it's ruined ru- everything. <laughs> but, but I think one of the things that you do you do a good job for uh, suggesting that it hasn't ruined everything. That it's doing that. Well, you use the technology um, in a way that's crafty and smart and, and suggests that um, we've come to, quote, a new normal with, you know, acceptance of all this technology in our lives. We've also mm-hmm. accepted it into the genre fiction we read and write. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had to. Um, I started reading today um, a, a book. Uh, oh, gosh. Um, and it's about a Victorian detective, uh, Mr. Witcher. And I'm so envious because, of course, they had no, um, there was nothing, you know, they barely had the telegraph. So, um, yeah, we've had to accept it uh, and use it. That's the thing, isn't it? Um, you know, at, at the beginning, it was, oh, gosh, you know, why the mobile phone has ruined everything. But you've just got to use it. You've got to roll with it. And uh and so today I was writing about cell phone triangulation and, you know, tracking down 
where somebody's been and and it's it's really interesting you know I've become a bit of a, a nerd about it but uh, I'll have to take it all out but uh, it's um it, it is really interesting and, and the technology has made detection uh, a different a, a different thing you know it's not about intuition some of it obviously is but you know it's not they can they can use all sorts of tools um to find things out and so it's it's quick it's fast paced um so i'm i'm trying to um yeah use as much as i can as much technology as i can well i think too that, that as sherlock holmes introduced the fingerprint it wasn't really a big part of his novels but now we mm-hmm. have we've got you know up the ante considerably with dna yeah. Sure. It's great because then you've got a certainty, haven't you, in your detection at the end of it, hopefully, um, you know, the forensics will say yes or no. Um, I know it isn't, you know, 100 percent, but it's it's very close. And uh, and that, I think, is good for the reader as well, because there is a certainty um, to the ending. They feel that things are wrapped up and uh, and they can move on. And you can also, too, as a writer, it still gives you, you know, an angle, a place where you're hanging on. Oh, is there DNA here or not? Can we read the DNA? What does it show us? And so you can have a lot of fun with a little bit of science and technology and keep the reader going for a long time. (laughs) That's right. I talked to a a very nice uh, forensic pathologist um who agreed to you know advise me and uh, and some of the things she comes up with um are, are incredible you know it's sort of really you can tell from that uh, so she's um, she's helping me greatly now you suggested that, that you gave kate a rest uh does that mean we're, we're going to see her again I don't know. I don't know. I never say never. And people have said, um, you know, are you bringing her back? And I I love her dearly. Um, But uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'm definitely writing a second ebbing book at the moment. Oh, good. Good. I was about two thirds through. So um, there'll be that. And then then I'll think about it. You know, it strikes me that any of your books would make great tv or movies um these days we're blessed with you know the the small screen adaptations of novels that you know don't try to put 384 pages into an hour and 20 minutes (laughs) just just as terrible does a terrible disservice to both the, the viewer and the reader um have your any of your books been optioned i would absolutely love to see this they have. book they have but it's just it's another world um yes they've <laughs> been optioned they've been optioned twice actually um and you know we've sort of almost got there you know there's been a script in product you know in 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 under work and uh, under construction um but it didn't quite get there but we'll see we'll see um you know sometimes um things are taken very quickly sometimes they're not or they are and then it takes a long time so um uh we'll see 
is what I say. Uh, yeah, but it's it's such a golden age for TV drama. Love it. You know, we're 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 seeing so much good stuff uh, on the telly. Um, I haven't been to the cinema hardly at all. So yeah, I think you know drama and those series. At the moment, we've got a fantastic one which I hope comes to you called Sherwood, which is being done. Uh, Monday and Tuesday each week, uh, an hour each episode, and it is fantastic, fantastic. Now I, I have to say I was I was interested that you name checked Midsummer Murders in this. <laughs> it yeah. gave me a good laugh. A town nobody wants to live in. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic idea, and it's so dark. Um, you know, it's that sort of Miss Marpleish cozy little village uh the most awful things happen oh my gosh um yeah uh yeah it's very popular here but um it's it's a place where you know there's a murder a week so um yeah it it (laughs) sort of sprang to mind now um one of the things that struck me about this book was that you know, I, I'm glad to hear you're in a sec, second novel already. When, how much, um, when you invested the time to write this novel, did you invest the time to write this novel with the idea, well, okay, if I'm going to build up Elise King, I'm going to get more than my book out of her? Well, not, well I, I felt I was tempting fate um, to think that, but by, you know, halfway through writing Local Gone Missing, I thought, yeah, you know, there's mileage in this. There's, I'm enjoying writing it. I've created the town now um, and I think it works. And so the editors, the publishers encourage me to do a second one. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the fact that, you know, I know the town now. I can walk through the town. Um, all the hard work, all the heavy lifting has been done so uh, yeah i'm uh, i'm really enjoying it being you know, with the characters again uh, exactly that's what i was going to ask i'm hoping that we'll see some of the same characters running some of the same shops and doing some of the same jobs yes i mean of course it's a terrible um i put myself in a terrible bind because i've said who does what and everything and you can't change that for the next book so uh, or ages oh you know have i have i put the right sort of ages but um yeah but it's uh, a good discipline as well um to have a cast that i i've got i have now done a spreadsheet so that i know that you know brian is at the golden place fish and chip shop and uh, gordon runs the campsite and because otherwise if you get it wrong um well the editors would pick it up i'm sure but i don't like to get things wrong and names are so hard you know coming up with all those names Oh, yeah, I know that. Well, I think one of the things, too, is I love how well-crafted this book was. Every every word was very precise. It's never overwritten. It's never underwritten. Uh, does this mean that uh, either you write this stuff with a golden pen and it never needs to be changed, or is there a lot Hardly. of surgery? <laughs> There's a lot of plastic Hardly. surgery. Uh, I wish. No, I mean, there is, I think there's a, there's a bit of a, um, a myth that, you know, you, that writers write, you know, one draft, send it in and uh, it's published. Of course that doesn't happen. Um, you know, writers write in very different ways anyway. 
you know, um, Ishiguru uh, does dirty writing for a month. I'd love to see him do this. And he just writes. Um, he doesn't stop for any mistakes. He just writes. Other people plan, plot it all through, may even do chapter by chapter. Um, so you can't, you know, you can't sort of uh, say what a writer a writer does because we all do something different thank goodness but I think that the way I write um it's sort of it, it, it's it's a, a, a mix a mashup really of uh, of styles but I think that I write short sentences from when I was a reporter I've tried to get the drip 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 of the thriller and uh, and so I write a first draft, but I may have rewritten all sorts of um, parts of it during the first draft. Right. Part. So, and so then I... I send it in. Then I send it in, and uh, there's usually um, a, a bit of a silence, which is nerve shredding, um, while they read it. While my editors in the UK and the US read it. Then they come back and they say, oh, this is lovely. We really like this. But can you do this, 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 this and this? Because what you need, having spent a year writing, is a fresh pair of eyes to look at it and say, OK, that's good. That's not so good. Too many people here. Too many names that sound the same. And so you get what's called a structural edit here. I'm not sure what they call it in the States, but um, that's quite a big, um, do we think the book works in its current form? What do we need to change to make it the best it can be? Um, so it, it's quite uh, ruthless. Um, I'm lucky because my editors are very nice with it. So they're very encouraging. Um, you know, they don't say, like my old news editors used to say, this is rubbish, do it again. Um, they're very good um, at bringing the best out of me. So then they do that. I send in a second edit. I sweat blood over it. And, uh, and then uh, there may be tweaks after that. There may be a whole other edit. Uh, it depends. It just depends. Um, so no, nobody, nobody does, you know, one draft books, I don't think. Nobody I've ever met anyway. The new novel by Fiona Barton is a Local Gone Missing. Thank you for joining me, Fiona. Thank you so much, Rick. That's been really enjoyable. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.